Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Saturday, the Browns dropped the best news I've heard all off-season. Stick around to find out. You're listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast, an iconoclastic look at the latest Cleveland Browns news. The What the Elf Was That podcast is part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here's your host, Joel Cade. For those of you who are watching the show, you will notice that I am wearing a number six jersey. Now, no, this is not Baker Mayfield. The best news of the entire offseason was announced on Saturday, and it has something to do with the number six. And that is, see, I'm giving away the teaser early. Jeremiah Owusu Koromora will dawn six this season. I ride with six is back. Let's do this. Now you may wonder why I'm so excited about Jeremiah Owusu Koromora wearing the number six. So I'll kind of get right into this. I'm a Notre Dame alum. Okay. Yes, I went to Notre Dame and I'm very proud of Notre Dame. I root for my fighting Irish. Don't get me wrong. I'm born and bred in Ohio. I, I root for my Buckeyes too, but Notre Dame is in my heart. It's my alum, and I thoroughly enjoyed watching Jeremiah Wusu Koromora for three seasons with that number six running all over any team that was out there. And I kind of missed the six, you know, when he got to uh, Cleveland. Baker Mayfield was there, and he had to take a different number, twenty-eight. And I was really hoping last year that he would pick up the six, but he didn't. He stuck with 28, but to my pure happiness and delight, Jeremiah Wusu-Kormora will be wearing six next year. It is a cause for celebration. All right, you Elfers, welcome to the show. This is me, Joel. You're listening to What the Elf Was That, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Guys, go ahead on over to Apple Podcasts and uh, Spotify, you know, and give us a like and a subscribe. 
you know, you guys are listening, obviously, and you enjoy what's being said here. And besides, I come up with some really brilliant stuff, and you know that. That's why you're listening. So why not give me a like and a subscribe over there on Apple Podcasts? Why not also check out some other podcasts while you're on there? Just look up the Fans First Sports Network. Check out Football Philosophy and Rocket Science with Elliot and I, where where we kind of get together and talk about things. Check out uh, the Johnny Cleveland podcast, the Stadium Food podcast. John Suchan's over there. He's putting together a podcast every day going over what the daily events of camp was going on. You know, there's a lot to to had. I mean, it is basically your one-stop place for all the Browns news that you would ever need. Listen to it here and there. There you go. This podcast is my longer version of the podcast where I go over all kinds of NFL news, Ravens hate, Borg news. You know, we got some serious Borg news today. But, you know, don't take my don't take my take. The other people are making takes on this as well. Just because I get jacked about wearing number six. And by the way, the jersey I'm wearing today was originally a Brian Hoyer jersey. I've learned as a Browns fan to recycle jerseys. Now, here's what I mean. This was originally a Brian Hoyer jersey. And then when Baker Mayfield came into the league, I bought an old Brian Hoyer jersey. And then had my wife stitch a new place on the back, a new name thing on the back that says Mayfield. And now I'm going to take this thing off and put JOK or Owusu Koromora, which would be a pretty tough sell to make an Owusu Koromora on there. But I'm going to put an Owusu Koromora on there, and it's going to rock. Just recycle your jerseys, people. That's all you got to do. Somebody leaves, keep it. Just, just we'll make it another number. Somebody else will come along, be like, boom, I've already got that dude's jersey. That's the one benefit of all this turnover is that you always have your favorite player's number somewhere in your closet. It's just masquerading as a former player on the team. Okay, so there's my advice on jerseys, how to save money. So training camp has started, so I thought we'd do a run, real quick rundown over all the things that we've been talking about in training camp, just so you don't miss the news and my take on it. One, Marquise Goodwin has had some shortness of breath and felt a little out of shape, basically. That's kind of what he's reporting. And turns out he's got some blood clots in his lungs and in his legs. And blood clots are nothing to joke with. They are nothing to mess around with. Marquise Goodwin could potentially die from blood blood clots. Get this taken care of. He's going to miss the start of training camp. Hopefully he doesn't miss all of training camp. But as long as it takes, what you don't want is one of these blood clots traveling to his heart, and then boom, he's he's gone. So let's let's just uh, let's just get him worked up and and straightened out before we even think about football. Other news: Anthony Schwartz starts camp on the non-football injury list. Um, right now, I'm not really sure what's going on with that. I'm not sure if there's a physical thing going on. If there's a a mental thing going on with Anthony Schwartz. It could be both. It could be both physical and mental. We have no idea. But for a guy, you know, wanting to make the team, this isn't a good start. Marquise Goodwin down, Anthony Schwartz down. I mean, you're already testing the depth of the wide receiver crew. Um, I do believe they went out and signed another receiver, um, probably just a camp body. But you never know. Get a shot. You never know what's going to happen. Um, Kevin Stefanski had a press conference. He's had multiple ones. 
and of to note, he said that Jim Schwartz and Miles Garrett are a match made in heaven. My God, let's hope so because Miles Garrett needs somebody that he can look up to and will actually listen to. Because I don't think he's listened to, uh, I don't think he listened to Double G. I mean, Greg Williams. I don't think he listened to Joe Woods. Uh, let, let's hope somebody can get through to him because on talent alone, he is easily the best defensive end in the league. Okay, he hasn't won any awards or any trophies or anything to prove that. But on talent alone, he is the easily the best defense in the league right now. If he would learn the techniques and the intricacies of defensive line play, he could potentially be the greatest defensive end to ever play football. But the only thing holding Miles Garrett back is Miles Garrett. If he will take the time and learn how to play that position, he would be unstoppable. It would be unbelievable to watch him play football. He would be a one-man wrecking crew on that defense. Let's hope Schwartz can get through him, through to him and turn him into that wrecking crew. So that's the good news there from Stefanski and his press conferences. Another interesting thing was that Anthony Walker and Sione Takitaki were both viewed going through drills. That is terrific. That That is great news. If we can get Anthony Walker and Takitaki back for the start of the season, that would be tremendous. The linebacking core is just like the, the wide receiver core. You've got all these injuries. You need people to come back. Further complicating the wide receiver issue is that Amari Cooper had a minor tweak at practice, which is unrelated to his core muscle surgery from the offseason. And by the way, what is it with Browns players and core injuries at wide receiver? I mean, I think Jarvis Landry had a core issue. I think uh, OBJ had a core issue. Now Amari Cooper had a core issue. Something's going on. I don't I don't know. Weird that like a lot of wide receivers in the Browns have muscle core. We're talking about abdomens and things like abs and stuff, have core muscle injuries. It's it's kind of bizarre. Um, another thing per Stefanski's uh, press conference that Deshaun Watson, uh, Stefanski is proud and happy that uh, Deshaun Watson is turning into the leader that he hopes Deshaun Watson will be. I don't know if this is hype or not. You know, we need to trot out some Flava Flav and don't believe the hype. I don't know if this is like, Training camp hype. Yeah, Deshaun Watson's coming out and he's actually being the leader and he's trying to send a message to everybody that, you know, this is the man and listen to him. I don't know. But one thing I can tell you from watching videos and seeing the news that's being reported, Deshaun Watson does seem to have his head down and working hard. And that's exactly what Browns fans need to see after the Baker Mayfield mess, the Johnny Manziel mess. I don't even know what that Deshaun Kaiser stuff was. And I'm saying that as a Notre Dame alum. I don't even know what that Deshaun Kaiser stuff was about. You know, at least we got a quarterback right now who's bearing down, who's working hard, and is looking to make an impact. He looks like he's motivated. He's putting in the work. <clears throat> he even come out and said he feels like he's in the best spot he's ever been in his entire life. So... Right now, he's saying all the right things. The coaches are saying all the right things. Let's just hope this translates into victories. I feel like I'm that guy that just says, hey, I got to see it if I'm going to believe it. So I I just want to see it. All right, I'm going to move ahead in the agenda because I got a lot of stuff on the board today. 
I'm going to move up to segment three and move that to segment two. And we're going to go straight into, that's right, all you Elfers' favorite segment. Ravens hate. That's right. We got some Ravens hate out there. So the Ravens are out there in the news. As if they haven't put together the greatest wide receiver core in the history of mankind with their five first round draft picks. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and check out the episode where we talk about in another Ravens hate segment. We talk about the Ravens five first round wide receiver draft picks. Um, This news has to do with the running back room. The Ravens have signed Melvin. It sucks. Gordon the third uh, to their squad. Now, if you wonder what it means by it sucks, recently there was this wide running back controversy. I talked about it last week where all these running backs came out and got upset at Matt Miller because Matt Miller said that this is how you treat running backs. You draft them, you play them, you franchise them, tag one year, and then you dump them and draft a new one. And all these running backs got pretty upset about it, blah, blah, blah. Well, Melvin Gordon the third decided to come out and say, you know, it sucks to be a running back in the NFL, that it's the worst paid position in the NFL right now, and he happens to play it. So the Ravens have gone out and signed him, and he will make, and I quote, up to potentially $3 million next season. That means he's probably signed a low salary with a lot of incentives that give him an opportunity to make money. Now, why would Melvin Gordon III sign this? One, because he's still a free agent. He probably wants to play football. And the Ravens, why the heck not? Two, he joins a running back room that features J.K. Dobbins, who, by the way, was just placed on the physically unable to perform list by said Ravens, which means the Ravens only have Gus Edwards and Justice Hill as their running backs. And I don't think they really believe those two can carry the load. Their running game wasn't the same after J.K. Dobbins left, and it looks like things are not going well for J.K. Dobbins to start with. So they've brought in Melvin Gordon the third. They're kind of looking for my man six. By my man six, I mean J.O.K. My man six to come in and tackle him a lot. I don't know what they're thinking over there. Gordon is one of those guys that proves why you don't give running back second contracts. He was tremendous out there, which was then San Diego, then Los Angeles. I don't know if he actually ever played in Los Angeles. He was tremendous out there in San Diego. Spent the last couple of years in Denver, I believe, and hasn't been what Melvin Gordon III has been. Um, so now they're bringing the Ravens are bringing him in. And he wouldn't sign a contract that would allow him to make up to $3 million next season if he didn't believe he would make up to $3 million next season. So in summation, this team is a mess. You've got a wide receiver core that people are vastly overhyping. You've got a running back, or excuse me, a quarterback who has primarily been a running back his career because all they've really done is run, um, you know, spread them out and then run power QB powers and QB read options. But now they're going to start throwing the ball downfield and the running back in that, in that situation doesn't really do a whole lot except keep the defense honest. And now your starting running back is gone and you're bringing on a retread in Melvin Gordon, the third, you're probably paying more for the name than you're paying for actual production. 
I don't know where the Ravens are doing, man. Everybody's hyping this team up, but I mean, when you're going to trot out a guy who hasn't played a year, a couple draft pick, a couple pickers you picked in the draft that haven't panned out, another guy that's been to three different teams in three different years. This is your star wide receiver core. Now you've got a a retread running back. I it's hard to get excited about the Ravens at this point, but it seems that every NFL moron is falling over himself, hyping up how great the Ravens are. Which leads us to our next topic, the Borg. There's a lot going on with the Borg, and some of it's actually surprising, and some of it is just exactly what you would think it is. So after the break, we're going to jump on the Borg's most recent talks with ESPN and seeing what this is all about. So hang on. All right, and we're back. So I've heard recently, and you're going to find this funny where I found this information. I was actually on my brokerage account because I own some stock in Disney, which is, now you can chastise me for this. I get it. Disney's probably not a good stock to be holding right now. I'm not giving out any advice whatsoever. I'm not telling you to buy or sell or anything like that. I'm just saying I own Disney, Disney stock, and I was just checking out on my stock. And I came across this really interesting article about ESPN. Um, So if you don't know that Disney actually owns ESPN, and Disney is not really quite sure what to do with ESPN, they've put out ESPN Plus alongside Disney Plus, alongside the Hulu package they purchased off of, I believe, Comcast back in 2018 or 19. I'm not sure which. And... Disney is kind of really not sure what to do with ESPN. I mean, it's still out there, still doing things. They're still running the SEC network. In case you guys don't know, ESPN is the SEC network. So keep that in mind when you watch SEC games or you listen to ESPN analysts hype the SEC. It's very self-serving. But ESPN apparently has made an unprecedented move in the market by holding talks with the NBA NFL, and MLB. The issue, by the way, for any of you who uh, pay attention to this kind of stuff, is that the traditional kind of legacy style of television is going away and it's being replaced by streaming services. The problem with streaming services is that they don't really make money because they have to purchase content. And companies like movie studios, TV studios, they sell their content to something like Netflix. And Netflix has to then turn around and stream that, and they get money from their subscribers. And at this point, the streaming services have not been a profitable business, pretty much for anybody, but particularly for Disney. Disney has lost a lot of money on streaming services. So you might think, oh, Disney Plus. But, you know, those Star Wars shows and some of the The stuff they've done with Marvel hasn't really panned out for them. Plus, they spent $300 million on this Indiana Jones movie. And as a self-serving person, I would recommend you go watch Indiana Jones simply because I don't want my stock to fall further from the price point in which I bought it. But anyway, ESPN is trying to get out ahead of this streaming situation because the landscape of TV is changing, as I've mentioned. 
So ESPN has had talks with NFL, NBA, and MLB. And they're looking to establish partnerships with those groups. But let's talk about what those partnerships would look like. The traditional legacy type television deal looks like this. This is what we're traditionally looking at. ESPN will get into contact with, say, NFL, and they want to purchase rights to Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football or something. Monday Night Football, I think, is what they run, right? Monday Night Football. So traditionally what's happened is ESPN will make a bid. So will Fox. So will CBS. So will NBC. They'll all make a bid to buy the rights to broadcast Monday Night Football games. Then they will turn around and get advertisers to sponsor their shows, run commercials during the shows. They'll put the little, like, this touchdown is brought to you by Bubba Gump Shrimp advertisements during the dialogue of the show while they're putting it on. So these companies that actually broadcast games are really middlemen in the situation. They pay a certain amount of money to the content creator. Think of that as the NFL as the content creator. They're paying to stream those games or to broadcast those games. Then they go to another party and say, hey, we can put your company advertisement while we're broadcasting NFL. So the in essence, the broadcasting company is collecting money from advertisers. They keep part of that, and then they shift part of that to the content creators, the NFL, the NBA, and MLB. So the broadcasting company is essentially a third party. That third party pays a lot of money, and they continue to pay a lot of money and are continuing to pay a lot of money, which is why the salary cap keeps going up, 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 and up. And this is why we talk about inflation. And if you listen to what the L, or excuse me, listen to football philosophy and rocket science, that's where you hear these conversations between Elliot and I, why the Bengals are so stupid for carrying over $19 million in their cap space because that $19 million isn't going to buy you next year what it could have bought you this year. Yeah, go Bengals, you morons. Okay, so ESPN has decided that this mode of legacy TV thing is just too expensive for them. Okay, they want to enter a new kind of way of doing things. But the NFL doesn't really want to enter this kind of situation yet, right? They're more than happy to take streaming money from, say, Amazon, (coughs) who streams Thursday Night Football, okay? They're taking their money to let Amazon stream Thursday Night Football. But they don't want are what they don't want are things like MLB TV becoming popular. MLB TV is a service that you can purchase and stream every single baseball game you want except for the local market games which you have blacked out. The NFL has NFL Sunday Ticket. And there's currently a lawsuit, a civil suit out claiming that the NFL is overpricing or forcing YouTube, by the way, to overprice NFL Sunday Ticket because they want to keep people from purchasing Sunday Ticket because they would rather the local TV money keep coming in. So this is where that situation makes sense. Why would the NFL want to suppress Sunday Ticket? It's because they get legacy money from Fox and NBC and CBS for the local games. They get huge piles of cash for the local games as where they don't get that co- those piles of cash from the streaming industry because the streaming industry loses money, okay? The NFL gets money from a, a legacy kind of, 
here we want the rights and we're the TV company X is the third party. That works great for the for the NFL. They just get cash on hand. But the streaming services don't make money. So they don't want to have people look into the primarily as a streaming service because that reduces the amount of money the NFL is going to make. Thus, <clears throat> ESPN, and here's where the rubber hits the road. This is where we're going to find out what ESPN is about. ESPN is trying to get out of the TV legacy approach because they think it costs too much to pay a pile of cash in billions of dollars to the NFL, to MLB, to the NBA, to broadcast games only to turn around and buy adverts or to you know get advertisers to cover the costs of that. So ESPN wants to build partnerships with the NFL, NBA, and MLB. Let's just say the NFL for short, but it implies all three. With the NFL to work on streaming NFL games in a kind of hybrid model of the traditional TV legacy deal. So ESPN wants to come up to the NFL and say, this is what's happening right now. They're coming up to the NFL and they're saying, hey, look, we want to broadcast your content. We'll stream the content. We're not going to be able to pay you a pile of cash up front because as you know, as well as I know, streaming doesn't make money, right? Somebody buys one pass to it and they give that to all their friends and all their friends are all watching one streaming services. So we're not making money off the streaming services. However, we at ESPN will let you own part of ESPN. We'll let you own the, the, the content distribution aspect of the game if you come in and work with us. So now what's happening, <coughs> what ESPN is proposing is the people, the NFL, let's put it in the NFL terms, the NFL owns the content. Next, the NFL, if they do a deal with ESPN, will own the delivery aspect of it in a partnership with ESPN. And then the NFL and ESPN both will primarily make their money from the advertisements they sell during the streaming. Okay, the streaming itself isn't going to make the money. It's like local newspapers. It's a good example is local newspapers. Local newspapers don't make money off subscriptions, right? This is why local newspapers are basically dirt cheap. They make all their money off advertisement. All local newspapers do is write articles, print the papers, and send them out. And they're dirt cheap because all the money comes from the advertisement. This is literally the model ESPN is trying to make it with the NFL. Hey, partner with us. We'll stream everything, and we'll both make a buttload of money off advertisement. So the NFL will now control the content and the content delivery, thereby mitigating the cost against the pile of cash for traditional legacy television. This is absolutely groundbreaking in terms of what is being proposed, because nobody at this point has figured out how to defeat the fact that streaming doesn't make money. So ESPN now is trying to partner with these leagues to turn streaming into a profitable business, not through subscriptions, but through advertisements. So in essence, the NFL is eliminating the middleman or the NFL is becoming the middleman. So it's interesting. But what would this mean practically 
And by the way, thank you for still listening through all that. I know this is technical. I told you I found this on my my uh, portfolio webpage. Okay, so this is I'm getting this off of uh, financial news. So what does this mean? It means one that the NFL cash cow from traditional legacy television may be coming to an end. We may be looking at the dark good night of the idea where the NFL sells their TV rights to say Fox or ESPN or NBC for like billions of dollars. And then everyone cashes in. This may have been the last big cash in this current contract. Okay. Now the NFL is going to have to start moving into the, the, the streaming market, which is a money loser. It has not been profitable. So if the big paydays aren't coming and you have to go into the streaming service and those are traditional losing services, you're going to have to figure out how to make money. And this may mean that NFL may have a restriction in the future in terms of its income, which would also mean the salary cap would go down, which would also mean player salaries will go down. So the NFL has a vested interest in making sure that these local deals work which is why your NFL Sunday ticket is outrageously overpriced is to prevent you from buying it. So you have to watch the thing, watch these games on local markets so that the media dollars can still be coming in through the traditional TV legacy programs. The end of all this, this is the future of television, by the way, streaming is the future and it may get a lot cheaper for us moving forward, but advertising on those streams may become a lot more expensive. All right, I know I've bored you to death with ESPN and streaming. Let's talk about something more interesting, shall we? We need something that's vastly, vastly more entertaining as opposed to dealing with ESPN. We are the Borg. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. That's right, everybody. The Borg are back. The Borg, baby. This week, the NFL owners, who I call the Borg, and all you faithful Elfer listeners know that. And I call them the Borg because they are self-serving, they replicate themselves, and they only care about themselves, and everything else has to adapt in service to them. The Borg officially approved the sale of the Washington Commanders to the Josh the Process Harris group. I've talked about this group on multiple occasions. I've talked about the process on multiple occasions. All you Elfers can go back and check that out. So what do they think this Josh Harris group did? The first thing they did. The first thing they did was trot out Magic Johnson, who also owns part of the Los Angeles Dodgers, by the way. And one of the first things he said is they're going to look into rebranding the team and potentially changing the name. So it makes you wonder if Dan Snyder didn't uh, sabotage this team on the way out (coughs) with his name change. Maybe he made some crazy deal. I don't know. But how would you like to be a fan of that franchise? Good Lord. Your name changes every other year. You've got a pig man, a pig man for your mascot. I don't know what that thing is. It's like a pig with a, a helmet on. It's like it's trying to be that little general from the general commercials. But it's like a pig. It's really weird. But it's pretty freaking creepy. 
So that sale has been approved, and Dan Snyder is currently gone, and Josh the Process Harris is coming back. And as we talked about last time, man, this team is set to tank. This is perfect for Josh Harris. You tank, then you change the team name, and you rebrand the whole thing, and everybody forgets about it, and everybody likes you again. But that's not what was interesting about the whole thing. What was interesting about the owners' meeting was that they fined Dan Snyder $60 million for all the crap that he pulled as a uh, Washington Redskin commander owner. So let's go over the deets on this one. Now, you may recall the commanders are being investigated for all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. But the one that's being one that's important for this situation is the Mary Jo White investigation. The Mary Jo White investigation, as you may recall, may or may not, was really busted open and began with the Washington Post article saying that the Redskins slash commanders has a history of, um, how we say, uh, negative work environments, has a history of sexual harassment, has a history of just generally all around being a bad group. Plus, there was the issue of <clears throat> did Dan Snyder cheat his fellow owners out of ticket money from gate receipts? Now, first of all, Mary Jo White investigation found out that Snyder did, in fact, withhold ticket revenue from visiting teams. Now, according to the NFL rules, the ticket sales are split 60-40, 60 to home, 40 to the road team. Apparently, Dan Snyder was skimming off the top and not paying the 40% to his fellow owners. This is probably what made the owners mad. Let's let's be brutally honest here. This is probably what, what made them mad. The Mary Jo White investigation also found that the commander's owner, Snyder, had, quote, pervasive culture of discrimination and sexual assault, unquote. That's um, pretty damaging to say we did an investigation and there's a pervasive culture of discrimination and sexual assault. I'm guessing that's not like full-on rape going on in the office, but probably like assault in other ways. Um, either way, it's bad. So given that it was proven that he cheated NFL owners and that he did discriminate against women and there is sexual assault. By the way, nothing was said about the claim that Dan Snyder was paying off officials. I think you can watch some commanders games and the phantom Duke, Duke Johnson fumble um, and, and figure out whether or not that was going on, but that would never, ever, ever be publicly made known if he was paying off officials, but everything else that was claimed has been verified. We just don't know if they ever investigated this claim or if they're just not sharing it with us. So he's been fined $60 million. So where is the $60 million going? That's my question, right? What's the $60 million doing? So I found an article that broke this down. But first, let's just run the numbers, right? Dan Snyder bought the Washington Redskins, then Redskins, for $800 million in 1999. Now he just sold the team now commanders for $6.05 billion here in 2023. So his net profit for the sale is 
$5.97 billion. That's what he made off that team. For all the things that he's done, that's how much money he's made. So the NFL decided to fine him $60 million, which represents 0.01%. One hundredth of 1% of the profits, of the profits that Dan Snyder got from selling the team. So that's like if you had $100, this would represent the NFL finding you $1 out of your $100. Or if you have a dollar, this is the NFL finding you one cent of your $1. So, yeah, it's $60 million. It sounds like a lot of money, but percentage-wise, this is a slap on the wrist. It sounds like a money money, but it's really not. So what does it really mean for the NFL to find him this much money? What are they doing with this money? So per Mike Florio, $27 million of the 60 million or 60 million they find him will be used to pay off and settle the NFL's legal fees for dealing with Dan Snyder. So that's right. The Borg got to take care of the Borg first because you know they're not going to pay their own legal fees. So the first thing they did was find Dan Snyder to pay the legal fees for dealing with Dan Snyder. Borg got a Borg. This leaves $33 million undecided on what to do with it. And Mike Florio asked them what they're going to do with it. But let's remember the two issues that are going on here. First, Mary Jo White concluded that there was a loss of revenues and ticket sales to 31 other NFL teams. And second, there's the pervasive culture of discrimination and sexual assault. And the NFL at this point has not decided how to use the $33 million in any way, shape, or form to rectify or resolve those two issues. Okay? They've decided not what to do. It is assumed that the NFL will simply reimburse the NFL owners for their loss of revenue with that money. The NFL could take that money and disperse it to supporting charities. This is typically what they do with player fines, right? They take the money and they send it out to charities. They could send it to a charity that maybe would work to prevent workplace discrimination or sexual assault. That would be interesting. Although, and I want to make sure this, this point is legally still out there. If a prosecutor were to decide to review the Mary Jo White report, they may decide that Dan Snyder and his creative accounting and non-payment to other, other NFL owners could possibly constitute fraud. And if it's enough fraud that they feel that they need to take action, they could press charges on Dan Snyder, meaning whoever the prosecuting attorney is that would approach this. I'm assuming... It's going to be a Maryland, state of Maryland situation. If that's the case, Dan Snyder may himself have to pay back all the other 31 NFL owners. And probably since because he has, you know, $5.97 billion profit from the sale of the NFL team, he probably has the money to, to make that happen. Uh, 
So what do you think the NFL is going to do? Are they going to A, pay themselves, or B, donate this money to charities to fight against discrimination and sexual assault? Oh, and by the way, in a completely unrelated and in no way suggestive of what the NFL may do, um, there is absolutely no update on the joint investigation by the states of California and New York into a workplace a workplace discrimination and sexual harassment claim made by former NFL employees in each of those respective states. So the NFL could do anything. They could pay themselves. They could work to fight against discrimination and sexual assault. But we also know that there is no other um, news on the ongoing investigation into their own issues with workplace discrimination and sexual assault as levied by the states of California and New York. So in the end, I think the Borg are going to Borg. They're going to find him enough to say, we're going to find you $60 million that's going to pay our legal fees and pay back all the money that Dan Snyder probably owned the other, owed the other NFL owners. And we're not going to worry about sweep under the rug or not care one bit at all as owners, as the Borg, about the culture of sexual assault, the culture of workplace discrimination, and they're just going to pretend it didn't exist. That's my guess. That's what's about to happen. And if I can follow the money on this for you, everybody, I will. You elfers, stay tuned. I will find out what's going to happen. But until then, I want you to like and subscribe to What the Elf Was That on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Check out the Fanatical Elf Sports Network on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. There's some great shows out there. Like I said, Elliot and I do Football Philosophy and Rocket Science. We've got the Browns Down South podcast. We've got John Suchan, who's like a man going on a wild, crazy mission because he's doing food podcasts, daily camp updates, his own Johnny Cleveland podcast. They even had Paul Brown from England on a podcast on the Fanatical Elves podcast. It's crazy. Got so much content going your way. You would be crazy, crazy not to go out there and check it all out. So until next time, you Elfers, stay tuned, and I will catch you next week, hopefully with an answer for what the NFL does with $33 million. Thank you for listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow host Joel Cade on Twitter at The Left Guard.